I'd invite you to pray with me. Gracious and holy God, uh, we are so grateful for your word um, and all that it holds for us. Um, God, even when it's a word that's hard to hear or a word that uh, warns us of consequences that can come um, when we fail to listen and to follow after you. Um, God, it is often the hardest words to hear that are the most important to listen to. And so we thank you for the word that you have for us this morning from the prophet Habakkuk. Be with us um, as we turn to it. Send your spirit uh, in our midst um, so that these words of warning uh, might become for us words of life. It's in your name we ask these things. Amen. So, as we've already talked about, we're continuing on our journey through the book of Habakkuk today. Um, and just to kind of fill you in on where we are at, up until now, the book has been a dialogue back and forth between Habakkuk and God. We started with Habakkuk's lament and frustration about the state of the world for the people of Israel where things are a bit of a mess due to Israelites, uh, the Israelites' unfaithfulness. This was followed by God's response to that reality, where he promises to raise up the Babylonians, allowing Israel to suffer the consequences of their behaviors and actions by being conquered by this foreign nation. Habakkuk is shocked and dismayed and challenges God, asking how a just God could allow an even more sinful Babylon to conquer Israel. God then promises a vision for the future for those who are faithful to God, which leads us to our text for today, which serves as a juxtaposition of the faithful's future. For today's text is also pointing to the future, but lays out how justice will come to those who are not living faithfully it speaks of what the future holds for nations like Babylon, who seek after wealth, security, and fame, and are willing to capture it at the expense and suffering of others. We're going to walk through this next section of Habakkuk together, taking it section by section. So let us listen for God's words for us today, as it comes in Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 5 to 20. So our text first opens with an introduction that lays out who the subject of these verses is and also who the speaker of them will be. First, we meet the subject in verse five. Moreover, wine betrays an arrogant man. He doesn't rest. He opens his jaws like the grave. Like death, he is never satisfied. He gathers all nations to himself and collects all peoples for himself. So that little wine betrays reminds us that drinking alcohol can cause one's masks and filters to fall away so that one's true character is on display. And in this case, it reveals an arrogant, prideful man who cannot get enough. There is this image of greedy consumption without ever being full. There is always the need for more. 
At the end, we recognize this is just, isn't just about one man, though I think we're invited to hear it both ways. What will, what will be said can be true for any of us on the individual level, but it's also clear this text is addressing Babylon, who has been one of the subjects of the dialogue between God and Habakkuk thus far. Ba Babylon was a nation that was expanding its wealth, status, and fame at a rapid pace by conquering nations and peoples mercilessly. Next, in the first half of verse six, we're introduced to our speaker, which is everyone, the whole world. Won't everyone tell parables about him? Again, we're talking Babylon, our greedy man, right? Or mocking poems concerning him. They will say, and then what comes after that is the bulk of our text today. It's five different speeches that are about the Babylonians for sure, but which can also be words of warning for any of us. Each of the five speeches focuses on a trait of Babylonian imperialism and describes how in the end, that trait will naturally lead to the Babylonians' demise. Each speech holds a woe, as it is translated in some versions of scripture. Here in the common English Bible, it is translated as doom which captures very much the mood and tone of each of the five reproaches. So are we ready for some doom, y'all? Aren't you excited to be here on a Sunday morning hearing about your doom? Here we go. <laughs> the first focuses on the accumulation of wealth. Doom to the one who multiplies what doesn't belong to him and who increases his own burden. How long? Won't they suddenly rise up to bite you? Those who frighten you will awaken, you will become plunder for them. Since you yourself have plundered many nations, all the rest of the peoples will plunder you because of the human bloodshed and the violence done to the earth, to every village and to all its inhabitants. The second reproach focuses on the search for security. Doom to the one making evil gain for his own house, for putting his own nest up high, for delivering himself from the grasp of calamity. You plan shame for your own house, cutting off many peoples and sinning against your own life. A stone will cry out from a village wall and a tree branch will respond. The third piece of this mocking poem focuses on the use of violence. Here, our translation shifts to the word pity instead of doom, and I really don't know why they did that because the Hebrew word is the exact same, and to me, I would have stuck with doom. So it's pity, but read here, doom or woe. To the one building a city with bloodshed and founding a village with injustice. Look, isn't this from the Lord of heavenly forces? Peoples grow weary from making just enough fire. Nations become tired for nothing. But the land will be full of the knowledge of the Lord's glory, just as waters covers the sea. The fourth reproach focuses on the pursuit of fame and honor. Doomed to the one who makes his companions drunk, pouring out your wrath in order to see them naked. You have drunk your fill of dishonor rather than glory. So drink and stagger. 
The cup of the Lord's strong hand will come around you, around to you. Disgrace will engulf you. Because of the violence done to Lebanon, he will overwhelm you. The destruction of animals will terrify you, as will human bloodshed and violence throughout the land, the villages and all their inhabitants. And finally, we come to the confidence of idols. What has gotten the nation of Israel in their current predicament and is also true of the Babylonians. Of what value is an idol when its potter carves it or a cast image that has been shaped? It is a teacher of lies for the potter trusts the pottery though it is incapable of speaking. Doomed to the one saying to the tree, wake up or get up to the silent stone. Does it teach? Look, it is overlaid with gold and silver, but there is no breath within it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So I have to admit, after all those very challenging words and warnings, I was half tempted to just let us heed the command of the very last verse of this text. But the Lord, it is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. But I'm a preacher, so the preacher comes up with words. As we come to the end of these five reproaches, it feels a bit like a mic drop moment. The call of silence before the Lord in the face of so much of humanity's sinful behavior and the destruction it causes doesn't feel like a bad place to start. As we try to take in these warnings of doom of what is to come. Today's scripture is the second part of the answer of Habakkuk's complaint about injustice. The core question at the heart of his book, how can such an unjust world exist if it belongs to a faithful and just God? Habakkuk asks the same question the book of Job asks. It is just that in the book of Job, the focus is on Job's personal and individual life here in Habakkuk, the landscape is broader, global in scale. Just like in Job, where you can zoom out the focus to consider what it has to say about what is happening between nations, the inverse is true here in Habakkuk. You can zoom in from the national level to think about what Habakkuk has to say about what is happening in our personal lives. Habakkuk's first answer to this foundational question came to us last week a reassurance of God's faithfulness and justice, a promise of a vision that we might all lean toward, a vision of the world as it was created to be, our lives as they were created to be, just in balance, all of creation living in harmony with one another. With that answer came a call to faithfulness for us that we must trust that vision and live toward it, striving to live in right relationship with God, one another and the earth, as we await the day when the vision becomes real. 
Today's scripture offers the second answer to this foundational question. And just like the first, it affirms the truths held in the question itself. Habakkuk invites us to speak out loud our doubt over such an unjust world being able to exist if it actually belongs to a just and faithful God. Just as the first answer affirmed God's faithfulness and justice, the second answer we receive today affirms the world's injustice. The wisdom granted us today is that eventually justice will come because unjust nations and systems hold within them the seeds of their own destruction. In time, their unjust actions, their sin, their destructive ways will catch up with them and justice will finally be served. George Adam Smith in his commentary on these verses puts it clearly and starkly. Oppressive imperial power, power wielded oppressively over foreign nations through expansionism, waged and won by economic, military, and cultural power, eventually will lead to its own demise. He labels that impressive imperial power tyranny, right? Tyranny is intolerable. In the nature of things, it cannot endure but works out its own penalties. By oppressing so many nations, the tyrant is preparing the instruments of his own destruction. As he treats them, so in time shall they treat him. Tyranny is suicide. There are countless examples of this in history. The Babylonian Empire, as its story continues to unfold, is just one of them. The rise and fall of Nazi Germany is another. And just about every revolution you can study in history holds some evidence of these dynamics. When you cause enough pain, destruction, and suffering in the world, when you break enough relationships, harm enough people, live so out of balance, eventually justice will come for you. As the New Interpreter's commentary on this text points out, for citizens of oppressed debtor nations and peoples, this wisdom is a source of hope and empowerment. Yet on the flip side, for citizens of wealthy creditor nations, such wisdom is a sober reminder of the serious consequences of national and international policies or practices that enrich through exploitation. When we do not live in right relationship with God, with one another, with our earth, eventually that imbalance will catch up to us. If we benefit at the expense of others, whether it be through the cheap labor of people of other nations, or through the resources we use up judiciously from the earth, or through political or economic alliances with unjust foreign powers. If we benefit at the expense of others, the promise here is that eventually, one way or another, that cost will become due. This is true at the national level, 
It's also true in our personal lives. We can find countless examples of this in the lives of individuals. When wealth, fame, status, security becomes our focus, we are putting our faith in transitory things that are not guaranteed to last. And when we win, earn, accumulate those things at the expense of others, they carry within them the seeds of their own ruin. Eventually, it will all catch up to us and justice will be served. When we break relationship with God, with one another, with the earth, what our text reminds us of is that the consequences of that breaking will eventually come to pass. So what does it look like to heed the warning signs littered through these words of God? The sitting in silence before the Lord upon his throne, again, feels like a pretty good place to start. That silence gives us the time and space to be reminded that instead of striving to earn our own position, wealth, and power, we should put our trust in our all-powerful, faithful, just, and merciful Lords. Lord. Friends, if we can get that relationship right, the others will right themselves as well. The central verse of Habakkuk came to us last week, Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous live by their faith. We find our life, we contribute to the life of one another, the life of our earth, when we live in right relationship. But to do that, we have to trust, have faith, believe in the ways and power of our God over and against the ways and power of our broken humanity. When we live in right relationship with God, trusting God enough to shape our everyday thoughts and actions, we will shift from being people who are either actively or passively contributing to injustice in our personal and collective lives to people who lean toward and work for justice in the here and now. There's warning signs all over this tiny piece of scripture hidden in this minor prophet in the middle of a book of the Bible so few people actually ever read and yet they're there flashing their blinking lights at all of us. It doesn't feel accidental to me that we got to see those blinking lights today. May we heed the warning. May we hear the invitation to live in right relationship with God, which will invite us to right our relationships with one another and with creation. Amen. Amen.